and uh, also Mark chapter 14. I'll, I'll, um, I'm looking for a clock. See, that's bad. Y'all don't have a clock in here. Brother Sanders told me y'all usually don't get out till 9.30 or 10 on Sunday night. Is that true? Is it okay to laugh in church? Is that okay? John chapter 12. If, if you wouldn't mind standing, we're going to read a few verses here. Uh, don't worry, I'll let you sit down in just a minute. I'll, I'll stand longer than you. But um, John chapter 12 and, and verse number 1. Uh, then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead. Everybody say Lazarus was dead. Whom he raised from the dead. There, there in Bethany, they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Uh, then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Uh, then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Uh, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag, the, the money bag, and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone against the day of my burying, hath she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but me you have not always. And then Mark chapter 14, Mark 14, and uh, we'll pick up verse number 3, Mark 14, and verse number 3. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she brake the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, Why was this waste of the ointment made? Everybody say it was a waste. It was a waste. For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone, why trouble ye her? For uh, she hath wrought a good work on me. But you have the poor with you always, and whensoever you will, you may do good, do them good, but me you have not always. She hath done what she could. Everybody say, Mary did what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. And verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. Amen. I want to talk to you a little bit this evening and try to be mindful of your time, of course. But I just want to talk to you about the, um, the problem with public worship. The problem with public worship. Amen. Let's... Let's lift our hands again uh, to the Lord and let's pray uh, for the Lord to help us this evening. Lord, I pray for your blessings and your anointing. I do thank you for bringing us here 
uh, again to the house of the Lord, to meet together with your people, to hear your word. And God, I pray that you would be gracious and merciful unto us and be kind unto us. And I pray that you would help me tonight, anoint me, use me, direct my thoughts, the intentions of my heart, put your word in my mouth. And Lord, I pray over us. I pray over us as a congregation, as a body of believers. Uh, God, I pray that you would help us to open up our hearts, our minds, our ears, that we may receive the word of the Lord with faith and gladness this evening. I pray that your word would speak expressly unto us and that you would minister among us tonight. We invite you into this place and I pray that you would have your will done and I pray that your spirit would capture our attention tonight in the name of Jesus. Everyone say in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you again so much uh, for standing also. I know he's not here, but thanks to your pastor for trusting us enough and allowing us to be here in service with you. Amen. Amen. I don't, I don't have um, very many hobbies, um, really don't have any hobbies other than one. And uh, it's it's been around in my life since I was a little kid. I um, I like money. Uh, not not so much the hundreds and fifties and twenties. I mean, don't get me wrong; those are nice to have around. Uh, but I, I've always had a fascination with coins. And when I was a kid, I, I wished that I still had all the coins that I've had collected throughout my life. But, you know, as a kid, I would find, um, of course, uh, they used to have wheat pennies. Some of you may remember the wheat pennies. Uh, they stopped making those around uh, 1956 or so. But uh, when I was a kid, wheat pennies were a lot more common than they are now. But I used to have a ton of wheat pennies and a ton of old nickels and I would save them up and I would get a pretty good number and then I would, you know, have to buy new brakes for my bicycle or a new inner tube and something like that. And, and so I'd have to go into my stash of coins and, and get those out. Um, but, you know, I do have quite a few coins now, not, not as many as I would like to have. I, I've kind of revived that over the last few years and have picked up coins and uh, a lot of coins I've, I've found just through loose change. I used to, many years, for many years, I used to work in a restaurant, managing a, a fast food restaurant. And, of course, I would have to count the registers. And uh, I would find coins in there. And I would keep those. Um, I remember one night I went into work and I had to count somebody's register. And, and as I was counting the quarters, there was a, uh, what they called a, a 19... It was called a Standing Liberty Quarter. It was a 1926 quarter. Of course, it's almost solid. It's like 92% silver. And even though it's in bad shape, I mean, because of the silver, it's, you know, worth $7, $8. And uh, so, of course, I, I kept that and, and put it in my collection. And uh, Another time, I was happened to be working drive-thru as a Taco Bell and working drive-thru and and the, the, the girl that was working drive through she went on break, and so I took over, and I was by a college town. And these two guys came through drive through and, you know, their total was, you know, $8 and something. And so they hand me a, a stack of $1 bills, and, 
This was back in the early 2000s when they started changing the money. You remember that? They started, they made the big face bills and they started adding color to the money. Used to, the bills used to not be like that, you know. And Anyway, so I was counting these $1 bills and I noticed one was different. So I showed it to the guy. I said, hey, is this, is this one of those new uh, dollar bills they're producing? And he goes, I don't know. Let me see that. And so I handed it to him back through the window, and he looked at it, you know, and had some blue in it, and there's some different colors there than a normal $1 bill. So he hands it back to me. He says, I don't know. Will you take it? I said, yeah, we'll take it. I mean, it's money. We'll take it. But when he handed it back to me, I realized why it was so different. It was because it was a 1935 silver certificate. So I have that somewhere in my little collection. Most of the coins really aren't worth a whole lot. There's, I mean, I have some that I've been able to gather together over the years, but if you were to take all of my coins and take them to a coin dealer and, and try to sell them, they, you would probably be sorely disappointed in what cash value you would get out of them. Because a lot of them I've held on to, not so much because they are expensive is because there's a story attached to them and it's the story attached to the coin to me is what makes it a value going back to that wheat penny you know I remember many years ago I was going through some change and 1909 was the first year that they started making wheat pennies and and I have one of those. I, I happen to find it in just some loose change. And it's not really worth anything. It's over 100 years old, but if you were to try to sell it, you would probably get max $2 for it. But it's that I found it. I didn't buy it. I didn't trade for it. No one gave it to me. I, I discovered it. So there's a, a value attached to it. And probably some of you, you have things that you've held on to. Some things you have laying around your house. Maybe it's an heirloom, something your mom or a grandparent gave you, an old shotgun or maybe some piece of jewelry or something that was passed down, a, something that you've kept from your childhood, an old blanket, maybe an old Barbie doll, old boxcar or something. You have something, and if you were to try to sell it, there wouldn't be really much value attached to it. But it's the sentiment that you attach to that object, that is what makes it costly to you. As I began to get further into coin collecting, I, I would you know, put them in little pouches and sometimes my friends would come over and I would pull out some of these coins as we were talking and I would show them the coins and and tell them a little bit about it. And, and I began to realize that not everybody had an interest in coins like I had. Matter of fact, some of you have already gotten bored of hearing about coins. Because to you, the story really doesn't have much value. I'm not sure where she got it from. The, the Bible never tells us 
We don't know if it was a gift from her husband. We don't know if it was a family heirloom. We don't know if she saved up her money to purchase this costly alabaster box of ointment. We don't know where it came from. We don't know how she came into possession of it, where it came from. All we know is that it was very expensive. Very expensive, very costly, and we know that she broke it open and anointed Jesus' body with it. The Bible allows us a little glimpse into that room that day as Mary broke open that pound of spikenard and anointed Jesus' body with it, and we read there in the text that there were some in that room, maybe because she was interrupting what was going on, maybe because she was getting in the way, maybe because it was a hindrance to what they were trying to accomplish, maybe it changed the atmosphere of the room, but there were some, the Bible says they became indignant, overly angry that Mary would come in and interrupt what they were doing. And the disciples got upset with this. And, and, and some, Judas namely, said, this is such a waste. This, this could have been sold and it could have been given to the poor and it could have went to a noble cause, but all she did was break it open and spill it on the floor and it was a waste of something so precious and something so valuable, it could have went to a more noble cause. But Mary thought she spent it on a noble cause. If we were to go back to John 11 and begin reading at the beginning of John 11, it would say this. Now a certain man was sick named Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was that Mary which anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And you know, some of you may know the story of how Jesus came later, several days later, after Lazarus had already died and how he raised him from the dead. And, and of course, we read it in, in John 12, verse 1. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. And I, I don't know how it transpired. The Bible doesn't go into a lot of detail about the circumstances of that day, but I would just imagine that as Mary was there, maybe she was helping her sister Martha serve and cook and clean up and, and uh, provide for the host, uh, provide for the guests. And they were hosting uh, this event that was going on. And, and I know there was a lot to do there. I mean, Jesus was there and, and all of that that entailed and all the guests that were coming by. And, and, but, but there was something that must have overwhelmed the heart of Mary because she's there with Jesus and she is there with her brother Lazarus who had been dead.
Yet now he was alive. Laughing and joking and eating and drinking and talking and telling stories. And something must have overwhelmed the heart of Mary. And maybe she began to think in her mind, what do I have that can show my appreciation for all that Jesus has done for me and my family? And maybe her mind began to go through the inventory of things that she had in her house. And eventually her mind settled on a box of ointment. The most costliest thing that she had in her possession. And she thought, that is what I will do. I will take that and I will anoint him with it. I will douse him with this expensive perfume to show my gratitude and my appreciation for it. But not everybody appreciated what she did. Not everybody was excited about Mary's commitment in attempt to show appreciation. Part of the reason why is that her story had no value to them. And see, herein lies the problem with public worship. It's that there's no value attached to the worship because you don't know the story. See, the disciples did not understand what was going on emotionally and mentally and spiritually with Mary because they were not there when Lazarus was sick. They were many towns away. Matter of fact, Jesus shows up some four days after he was dead. See, they were not there when Mary was tending to her sick brother. And while Mary was taking cold towels and wiping his fevered brow. And while Mary was there trying to nurse him and feed him. And, and they were not there to watch Mary have to clean up the bed sheets and the linens that he would soil. And they were not there when Mary was holding his hand as Lazarus was struggling to breathe. And they were not there as they were sitting bedside, as Mary and Martha were sitting bedside watching Lazarus take his last breath. They were not there to even witness the funeral procession as they carried the dead body of her brother, perhaps her only brother, to the tomb. All they were there was to see the resurrection. They weren't there as Mary was praying to God day and night that God would somehow be merciful and spare her brother and raise him up off of his sick bed and heal him. And they weren't there when the disappointment came when healing never arrived. So when she burst into the room with this costly ointment and begins to pour it up on him. There was no value attached to the worship because they were not there to experience her story. See, everybody else in the room thought it was excessive. They thought it was a waste. They thought it was over the top. But I would assume that if we could peer into Mary's mind, while everybody else thought it was excessive, Mary probably thought it was insufficient. Mary probably thought if I had anything else more 
costly to give him for all that he's done in my life, for all that he's done in my family. I would give him something even more costly. It's kind of like David in the Old Testament. In in 2 Samuel chapter 6, David is trying to bring the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. He runs into some difficulties and he has to sideline his plans. He does a little research and finds the correct way to carry the Ark. In verse 14 of 2 Samuel 6 says, And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all his house of Israel, and all the house of Israel, brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. And they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in his place. In the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. In verse 20, then David returned to bless his house. And and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, very sarcastically I might add, How glorious, how glorious was the king of Israel today. What a fool. You uncovered yourself today in the eyes of the handmaiden and your servants. As one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. (laughs) You just saw yourself, David. You're so foolish. Jumping and twirling and spinning and and dancing. You realize how dumb that looked, David? Out there in the hot sun, jumping up and down and sweating and and singing and, and shouting. And did you realize how foolish all that sounded? Yeah, you look really smart, David. That was was real dignified for a king to act that way. To lay aside your royal garments and get out there with the commoners and act so dumb. And David said unto Michael, it was before the Lord, which chose me before thy father, And before all his house to anoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore will I play before the Lord. And I will yet be more vile than thus. And I will be base in my own sight. And of the handmaidens, the maidservants which thou hast spoken of, of them shall I I be held in honor. He says, I will yet be more vile or... I will yet become more undignified than this. If you thought my worship was foolish today, Michael, just just wait around a while. 
I'll even be more foolish. I'll even be more excessive. And he says, it was before the Lord which chose me before thy father. You see, the Bible says that as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, that, that Michael looked through a window. There she was, somewhere above the streets, and she was looking through a window. And that's the problem with public worship. When we come to church, I know you, you like to think you know everything that's going on in in a, in a fellow saint's life, but most of us really don't know what someone is going through. And when we come to church, we're, we're really just looking through a very narrow window of time into somebody else's life. You don't know what they've gone through in the week. You don't know what they endured as a child. You really may not know what God delivered them out of, what God has provided them with, how God has protected them. And that's what David's saying. It was before the Lord that I did this in because he chose me before thy father and anointed me. And what David was saying was, you see, Michael, what you don't want to see, you're just looking at me worshiping today and you think I'm being excessive today. But my story has no value to you because you weren't there when I was on the backside of a wilderness on a, on a hillside somewhere. And, and the prophet came by and nobody in my house thought I was ever going to amount to anything. Nobody had any confidence in me. Nobody would, believed I was going to grow up to make anything of myself. Everybody forgot about me. I was the forgotten child. But God saw something in me and God called me out of the wilderness and God called me out of the shepherd flock and God anointed me. And you were not there, Michael, when I had to fight a lion to protect somebody else's sheep and I never got credit for it. And you weren't there when I had to defeat the lion. And you were not there that day in the valley when everybody else was scared of the giant and nobody had any confidence in me that I, a little shepherd boy, could defeat a giant, a man of war. But God had confidence in me and God anointed me and God helped me to destroy a champion of the Philistines. And, and Michael, I know I was married to you, uh, but you were not there when I had to flee our house. And you lied to your dad. And I had to jump out the window and I spent the next few years running from your father who was trying to kill. You were not with me in the wilderness all those times that God preserved my life. And I understand, Michael, that my worship has no value to you because you don't know my story. I'm from a, a small town. Me and my wife attended a small church in a small town. We had an old lady named Sister Carr. 
and I would sit on the platform at our church. I was, I was, I'm not, I'm not old yet, but I'm, I'm older than what I used to be. And if you've ever been young, I told somebody a while back, I said, you know, I, w- I wish I could go back to the age of 23 because that was when I knew everything. The older I get, the less I know. See, when I was 23, I thought I had life figured out. I thought I had God figured out. I, I thought I knew all I could know about the Bible. I, I know none of y'all, y'all spiritual people. Y'all, don't, y'all never went through that phase as, as a 20-something, but, but as carnal people, we, we did. And I'd sit on the platform, and this old lady, Sister Carl, White hair and wrinkled skin, and uh, she would she would come about once a month. Y'all, y'all probably don't have people like this in Arkansas, but we have people like this in Texas. We we deal with that they show up to church about once a month, and uh, usually people that that miss a month of church, you know, normally they'll just come and, and sit in, and sit there. And really not participate. But that wasn't Sister Carr. Matter of fact, she would come and, and she would either sit on the last pew on my on this right side or the second to the last pew. And a lot of times during the worship service, you could almost count on it when Sister Carr was there. She would step out in the aisle and start hooping and hollering. I mean, it, it could be a dead church service, and people are just, you know, Wednesday night, everybody's tired, we've worked today, and, and we have things we got to do tomorrow, and we got to wash clothes, and, and we're really just kind of coming to church out of obligation, but we really have a lot of other things to do. We could, we could be doing homework and, and getting stuff ready for tomorrow, and we have errands and things to do and, and things to fix around, but we have to stop all that. We have to come to church on Wednesday night, and hopefully the preacher's not preaching a long time, and, and maybe we can be out by 845 And then Sister Carr would show up. And then she'd start all this hooping and hollering. And she'd get out in the aisle sometimes. Or she, it, it never failed. Anytime our pastor, Brother Powell, would say, if anyone needs prayer, come to the, you could always count on Sister Carr coming there. And, and a lot of times, even before we would lay hands on her, you didn't even have to touch her. All of a sudden, whoo! And she'd do that, you know, and, and the poor musicians, they'd have to keep playing a little while and a little bit longer, you know, and, and they'd have to wait for Sister Carr to calm down and stop speaking in tongues. And my brother Powell would have to finally, you know, kind of calm everything down and, and, and get Sister Carr back to her pew. And then she wouldn't come to church for a month or six weeks. And then she'd come back in uh, uh, a month and a half later, and, and she would do the same thing again. I thought, what? What a hypocrite. I mean, she's been gone for six weeks, and, and then she walks in church, and she acts like she's never missed church. She acts like she's been faithful this whole time to God. I 
kind of person do you think she is? That's so dumb. I've already come in, miss a whole month of church and then just come in and, and interrupt service and, and start acting this way. I mean, I got to get up early in the morning and go to work. I know y'all have never thought this, right? Am I, am I the only one that's ever done this? One Sunday morning, we show up early. We, at 9 o'clock, we would have our Sunday school teachers meeting, and we showed up, and, and, and uh, we gathered together. And uh, Brother Powell was very heavy in heart. And he shared with us that the day before, Sister Carr had a brain aneurysm. And she was in the hospital. About four or five days later, Sister Carr passed away from the brain aneurysm. But during that period of time, as she was hanging between life and death, she was in a comatose state. Some stories began to emerge about old Sister Carr, who would always interrupt service with her worship. You see, what no one in the church knew was that when Sister Carr would go home, she would drive her eight miles back home. Most of the time, her husband was waiting on her. And he'd throw her on the floor and punch her and kick her and curse her and throw stuff at her for going to church. And the reason why she would wait four or five or six weeks to come back to church is that she was just waiting for the bruises to heal up. Because she was waiting for the bruises to heal up. See, I didn't know that. Nobody in the church knew that. I, I was just looking through a very small window of time into Sister Carr's life. And it was really hard for me to value her worship because I did not know the story attached to it. And that's the problem with public worship. It might be a dead Wednesday night and someone comes to church and out of just a normal song service, the tears begin to flow. And the shouts are made and a dance is performed. And, and you don't know that their spouse told them before church that they wanted a divorce. And you, you don't know that the doctor gave them a bad report that week. And, and you don't know that their kid told them that they no longer believed in God. And you don't know that they just got laid off from their job. You, you don't know. You're just... Looking through that narrow window of time. Worship, what I've learned is, worship is an outward expression of the inward love that we have for Jesus. 
And I've learned that not everybody worships the same. But I have learned that usually the person that sits and does nothing in church is not worshiping. Not being judgmental. just the reality and it's usually those people that begin to think that worship is excessive it could be spent on something else save that shout for the Razorbacks save that hand clap for the St. Louis Cardinals No, no, don't jump up and down in church. Jump up and down for the Memphis Grizzlies. I'm, I'm not against sports. I'm from Texas. I, I like the Dallas Cowboys. But the star on the side of the Dallas Cowboys helmet has never done anything for me. It's never paid a bill. It's never healed my body. It's never protected my children. And to think that I'm going to waste a hand clap on something that has never done anything for me. Again, the Bible says that Mary did what she could. Not everyone worships the same. I, I wouldn't expect everybody to run around. I wouldn't expect everybody to jump around. I don't expect people to roll around on the floor. I, I don't expect uh, everybody to, uh, to dance around the front of the altar. I don't expect everybody to cry during worship. I don't even expect everybody to clap their hands. But I would expect people to do what they could. And for some people it's just the lifting of a weary hand. For some people it might just be a faint hand clap. For some people it might be a little shout of the voice. For some people it might be a tear. For some people they do jump up and down. And I would assume that you're here. I know it's a big assumption on my part. But I assume that most of you are here because somewhere at some point in time in your life God did something for you. Either He healed you or He saved you. He forgave your sins. He encouraged you. He blessed you. He provided for you. He protected you. Somewhere along the way in your life, you're here because somewhere God did something for you. And the least I could do, the least I could do is to do what I can to show my appreciation for a God that has done so much. I've come to the point in time in my life where I don't care if anyone values my worship. I don't care if anyone thinks I'm over-worshipping or if they think I'm under-worshipping. I'm going to do what I can. Let's stand this evening. I'm not 
trying to be too critical. Forgive me, I'm not, I'm not trying to be offensive. I, I just know that uh, sitting under a pastor for some 13 years, I, I learned that whenever pastor wasn't at church, that whenever pastor was on vacation, a lot of times the, the church went on vacation also. And I understood that, that, that if I was filling in for a pastor and pastor wasn't there, that, that a lot of times there would be kind of a, a down night. And I understand Brother McCall is not, not here. I don't know how you normally do church. I don't know how you normally worship. I don't know what kind of normal move of the Spirit you have. But for the next few moments tonight, if, if you would just indulge me, if, if God really has ever done anything in your life, if you could just take a few moments tonight and, and just take a stroll down memory lane and begin to think about where God brought you from. I haven't always been in church and and my worship really doesn't have any value to you, but, but you see, you don't understand that, that you were not there when I, when I had to go through the divorce of my parents. And, and see, you weren't there that, that time when I lived with my dad and we didn't have any food in our house for about a month and a half. And, and you weren't there when we didn't have any heat to heat our house during the wintertime. And you weren't there when the doctor told me when I was 19 that the back injury that I had from a sports incident, that the doctor told me I would never be able to run again. See, you weren't there for that. And, and you weren't there when my parents wanted to put me in drug rehab because everything in my life was spiraling out of control. And I understand that my worship doesn't have much value to you. But if you could just take a few moments tonight and just, I know not everybody's going to do this, but if you could just close your eyes and just begin to think of what God has done for you, what God has done for your family, where God has brought you from, how He's washed away the sin, how He's wiped away the shame and the guilt and the condemnation, how God has blessed and provided those nights that you were lonely and, and, and despondent and, and, and depressed and how God came along beside you and strengthened you and encouraged you. How He healed your child that had fever and how He healed your body and how He blessed. And if for just maybe just five or ten moments, ten, ten minutes, we could just kind of forget about our neighbor Forget about everybody else in the room and just do what we can to just show a little appreciation to what God has done for us. It might be a hand clap. It might be a shout. It might just be a lifting of the hand. It might be some fresh tears running down our face. But if we could just think about the Lord and think about what He's done in our lives and just take a moment and just give Him thanks. Take a moment and just worship Him for the value that He has added to our lives. 